the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Guy with End Time Insights. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. We're excited. We're finishing up a short little three-part series, and it's on America, the church, and the Word of God. I want to talk about how the church fits in to what's going on these last, I don't know how much time we got. We don't have too much. But uh, these last maybe couple of years, perhaps, I'm not quite sure we even have that much. A lot's going to depend on what goes on with the election, you know, because we in the body of Christ, we in the church, we are not appointed unto wrath. And God's going to remove the church before he pronounces wrath upon the nations and Israel. So I want to show you today exactly where we are, what we're going to be doing. I first, I wanted to quickly review what we've done the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, the election is right around the corner. We're about to choose. Hopefully not a new president, but another president, another term for the current president, Mr. Trump. We're excited. We are huge Bible supporters. We are huge Bible believers. Therefore, we are huge Trump supporters because his programs and his plans and his stuff that he's instituted is right out of the Bible. Whether it's an institution of the immigration policy, which is right out of Deuteronomy, whether it's his treatment of the poor, whether it's his love for our nation— you know, people say that President Trump's like Cyrus. I think he's like David. Cyrus did not love Israel. He did not love the Jewish people. David loved Israel. Mr. Trump loves America. Don't let anybody tell you anything that's different. So I want to quickly review. We spoke the first week about, it was two weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that America is on a downhill slide, that America has fallen. They've fallen hard. They've fallen rather quickly in the last couple of years. And it's been something, it's been a downward spiral probably for the last two or three decades, four decades perhaps. You can take it back to 1956, I think it was, when they started doing abortions. They never legalized abortion. The Supreme Court doesn't have that authority. All they did was just say that Roe v. Wade was something that they would enforce, that they would make it so-called the law of the land, even though it's not. Basically, in a decision like that, Roe v. Wade, there's only two people, two parties that are binding, Roe and Wade. At the end of the day, even when we do overturn abortion, I guess I'm drifting, at the end of the day, even when we overturn abortion, it's going to be an issue of states' rights. The Supreme Court will say, no, abortion is not something that we can do. They're going to outlaw it. But at the end of the day, it's going to go back to the states, and the states are going to make their own decisions. I forget how many number of states are already outlawing abortion, but the move is there. God is moving, so... Church, keep praying. Keep asking the Lord to send repentance to our nation. We desperately need to get back on the right track concerning abortion. I believe if we can fix abortion, that offers such great hope for our nation. So don't give up on that fight. 
And we talked about America, the sin in America, how far we've fallen, the immorality in America. Uh, when we, in 2015, when we, the Supreme Court said gay marriage is legal, we shook our fist in the face of God and we said we know better. So we have just continued to fall. Then we spoke about the church, and there was good news and bad news about the church. We show that the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. It's his church. He says, I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's going to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. So that's the good news about the church. That's a promise. Those things will happen. The church will be built. It will be glorious without spot or wrinkle, and it is the pillar and the ground of truth. Then we talked about the bad parts, the fact that the Bible predicts an apostasy in the church. Not only in the church, but it's a falling away from truth. And the church has fallen away from truth, and also the world has fallen away from the truth. You can't deny the fact that as the church goes, so goes the world, and especially America. You know, America needs the church. The church doesn't need America, but America desperately needs the church. And so... Uh, we showed how that was happening, that the false teachers would be in the church, misleading people, misleading many, many, many. Remember, few there be that find it, that there would be false doctrines in the church. And this is what we're up against. And this is the environment in which the church has been thrust at the end of days. So I want to talk to you. I want to give you some scriptures, just in case some of you may not be sure about what's going on, who you are, what your calling is. What is the mandate that God gave the church? What is the assignment God gave the church? What are we supposed to be doing? The first scripture I want to take you to is Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I like that. You consider one another. And by considering one another, you encourage one another. And you stir one another up to love, which is your default position in Christendom, and to good works. We're supposed to be doing the works that Jesus did. Then the rest of the scripture, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And that key phrase there, as you see the day approaching, I want to quickly focus on that. We see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord, the return of Christ. That day is nearly upon us. We should be preaching that in our churches. We should be letting the world know that the return of Christ is imminent. And remember in the days of Noah, the Bible says, as in the days of Noah, that's what these days were going to be like. As in the days of Noah, well, people weren't aware of what was going on. They were buying, they were selling, they were marrying, they were divorcing, they were living their lives, and they didn't know until the floods came. And we don't want that to happen to the world that we're going to leave behind when we're raptured. I want them to know what's going to happen. That's why the church needs to be prominent in the voice. Out of all the voices that you've got out there, you've got the politician's voice, you've got the media voice, you've got the Hollywood voice. The church needs to be resoundingly louder than all of those voices combined because we have their eternal destiny in the palms of our hand. We have the opportunity. Paul says, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to the Jew, to the Greek. I'm a debtor to everybody. We are debtors, too. I'm a debtor to the people. I'm a debtor to the homosexual. I am a debtor to the Democrat. I am a debtor to the sinner, to the adulterer, to the alcoholic. I'm a debtor to everybody. And what that means is when you owe somebody a debt, it means you have something that belongs to them. And it's on you to return it. I have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ within me. And actually, I'm carrying it around for you. It belongs to you, too. And it is incumbent upon me to make sure that I give it to you. Freely I've been given, freely I'm going to give. Back to the scripture. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. 
because of this pandemic, because of this overreaction to the virus, which is just another flu, because of the government grab for our power by the ungodly, for our freedoms by the ungodly, it has forced the government, or they've chosen to, but they've closed our churches. I know mine was closed for three or four weeks, perhaps, but we're back, we're open, we're running. And the Bible says, don't stay out of church. Don't forget to go to church. Don't leave that behind. That's an important part of your Christianity. And we have got to get back in churches. Well, my church isn't open, you might say. Well, then find a church that's open. And if you don't like that, then go to a Bible study. It doesn't have to be a church. It doesn't have to be a building. It could be a group of believers together meeting outside in the park once a week to intercede, to pray, to encourage one another, to fast, to just prophesy, to call forth the blessing of God, to bring forth repentance in your private circle. That's what church is, a bunch of people getting together in the midst of God himself. And it's important that you do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. And it says so much more as you see the day approaching. This commandment was given 2,000 years ago to the, the body of Christ, to the church. And it's still important. Matter of fact, it's more important than it's ever been. Just because it's been 2,000 years old doesn't mean there's a new sense of urgency to it. Remember, May 14th, 1948, what? The rebirth of the nation of Israel. That generation would be the last generation. That generation would see not only the rebirth of Israel, that generation would see the rapture of the church. That generation would see the second coming of Christ. That generation would see the tribulation. I'm telling you, we are in those days. And that was 70-something years ago. It is so close. I'm telling you, you guys, you got to get into church, and you got to be hearing the word of God. Starting at the end of that scripture, though, it's a certain behavior that Christians ought to be exhibiting as we draw closer to the return of Christ, especially so now when his return is so imminent, it's so near to us, there can be no question that these scriptures are being fulfilled. We must hang out together. I need you. You need me. That's the family of God. You know, the stuff with the mask, it is so demonic and it is so obvious to me as a Christian. Understand. Christianity, it's all about relationships. And it's not just generic relationships or fly-by-night relationships. It's all about intimacy in those relationships. It's you and me reading our Bibles, getting to know God through the Holy Spirit. That's what he desires after all. He desires to be worshipped. Remember, at the judgment day, Jesus is going to say, either depart from me or come in, enter into the joy of the Lord, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me because I never knew you. You cannot have a relationship with God if you don't know Jesus Christ. And that's why this mass stuff, where it keeps us from our relationships. You know, I'm an eye guy, E-I-E-Y-E. I look at people's eyes when they talk to me, and I look at their mouths. And you can't see that anymore. You can't tell if somebody's smiling at you or not. It's by design. It is Satan's deception to keep us from forming intimate relationships. Staying out of church is a plan of the devil to keep you from developing those intimate relationships with other members in the body of Christ. That scripture also tells us we're to be considerate of others, and it's for the purpose of stirring us up, encouraging us to love and to do good. And it's so important that we look at the scriptures that talk about what we're supposed to be doing in these last days. You know, no matter what you may think, no matter what the world may tell you, your government, your mayor, God has spoken, and we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. We are not to dismiss. We are not to obey man rather than God and stay out of church. That is not the will of God. So I would encourage you, 
get back in a church. If you don't have a church, find a church. If you can't find one, find a Bible study. But get back into church. And I'm not talking about online stuff. I'm sorry. Somebody said online church. It's like watching the Yule Log at Christmas time thinking you're going to get heat from it. I'm sorry. You need to be in a church building with other believers. I have another scripture for you. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we see we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And what else? We're supposed to study. And Paul writes this, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, he's writing it to Timothy. And this is right after he's giving him, or right before rather, he's giving him the warnings about end time behavior, how wicked it would be in the last days. You need to study the word of God because you are answerable to God to know what the Bible says. We don't do this Man be pan be off the cuff Christianity. We don't do religion. That's not who we are. We are the body of Christ, the ground and the pillar of truth. There's a void, a dearth of truth in our nation. The church is the only one that has it. It is our responsibility to study the Bible, to learn the Bible, to hear from the Holy Spirit of God, to get revelation knowledge, and to share it with those in the world that may not know God. That is our witness. Jesus didn't say go out, knock on doors, and start witnessing to everybody. He said you must be a witness. You yourself are the gospel to be read of all men. Paul wrote about that. During this time, we just can't read our Bibles anymore. We need to study them. You know, the time is way past for lightweight Christianity, I call it. It's not about going to church on Sunday, fulfilling your so-called Christian duty. It's about investing your life in the Word of God and building that relationship that you are required to have with God through the study of the Word of God. We cannot win a battle. We cannot engage in spiritual warfare where only one side shows up in the fight. And that's what's been happening. You know, it's our responsibility to defend America. It is our responsibility to defend others in the church, to fight for them. God's given us his armor to wear. God's given us the word of God. He's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us spiritual principles like forgiveness. It's our responsibility to share this with the dying world. We need to be practicing this regularly within the church body. That's why being together with the church is so important. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 in the Amplified. I like this. For the mystery of lawlessness, rebellion against divine authority, and the coming reign of lawlessness, it's already at work, but it's being restrained, and only until he who now restrains is taken out of the way. Once he who is restraining is taken out of the way, then this lawlessness, guys, is going to run rampant. That's when the Antichrist manifests. Some would say that he who's taken out of the way is the Holy Spirit of God, and they are correct. But Christianity, in this particular time, in the age of the church, it's the Holy Spirit in the church who is supposed to be restraining the evil. Once the church is taken out, we will be taken out of the way, but the Holy Spirit, he will remain here. He'll have a different type of ministry. He will no longer infill the believers, but he will be operating from a different vantage point. It'll be like the old time when the Jews, they were visited by the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God came upon them. Now it's totally different. We have the infilling of the Spirit of God, the overflowing of the Spirit of God. So we're restraining evil right now. That is why, you know, people are attributing all sorts of power and acts, miraculous acts to Satan. Satan does not have that power. I'm sorry. He is being restrained by the church, by the Holy Spirit in the church. He who restrains right now is God's Holy Spirit. And I believe that references him 
in the church. You must understand that. Well, if that were to be true, then that means we have power to restrain the enemy. So in addition to not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, in addition to studying our Bibles, we have a job to do, and that is restraining the evil that is in the land. That's why Jesus gave us power. Behold, I give you power, might, dominion over all the power of the enemy, Luke ten nineteen, and nothing shall by any means harm you. I don't understand that, why we would not restrain the enemy, why we would not go to bat to rescue people from the power of the enemy. Number one, it's the command of Jesus, but number two, he said, nothing's going to hurt you. I mean, what a guarantee. That's like, Ron, you can go ahead, you play a football game and you can do anything you want, you won't get hurt. Well, that's how it is, but this is life. This isn't a game. This is life. This is life and death for some. Some people are going to go to hell because we're not telling them the, the gospel. We're telling them make-believe stuff. We're telling them stories that may not be true. We're making up our own narratives. And that's something that we do need to undertake. We haven't been doing a good job about that. Number one, we've left off our assembling of ourselves. When I was in the Army, that assembling of ourselves, that's a very military term. You know, we would have to get together. It was called assembly. We would get up in the morning, 5 a.m., we'd work out, and then we'd come to a general meeting where we were all together. It was called assemble, assembling. It was called the assembly. And we would get our instructions for the day. We would get specific instructions for that particular day, whether we were going to be training in armor, whether we were going to be hand-to-hand combat, whether we were going to learn military tactics, whatever, whether it was training with our weapons. We met together, assembly, and that's why I like the fact that Paul used that word because he said he talks about military terms and when he's talking about us in the body of Christ. And when he says assemble, don't forsake your assembling together. It's so important, so important. We need to be trained in the presence of God. First Peter five eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Understand, Satan needs permission to devour people. We have the ability to deny him that permission. But if we're not being trained, if our eyes are on the debates, if our eyes are on the sports, if our eyes are on the latest movie, if we're following Hollywood, if we're not paying attention to our assignment by God, then we're going to miss out on what we're supposed to be doing. Fighting for the lost is what we're supposed to be doing. Understand this. This is my belief. I don't believe everybody whose name's the name of Jesus Christ is a Christian. I believe there are people that have good hearts toward God. I believe they have a mental ascension that they know who God is. They know who Jesus is, but they haven't made a commitment in their hearts to receive him, to receive the forgiveness for their sins and to be baptized in his Holy Spirit. Now, they're going to get to meet God, but I think they're going to have to go through the tribulation period. Because if you don't walk in the fear of the Lord as it is right now, if you are not obeying God, seeking his will first, because he loves you so much, he will give you a second opportunity. But you're not going to go in the rapture of the church. You're going to be stuck here. You're going to have to work on plan B. You are going to have to learn the fear of the Lord face to face as you are dealing with up close and personal the wrath of God. And if you don't fear the Lord of God when you're under the wrath of God, there's not much I can say about that. But if you are earnestly seeking God, if you are willing to please God, to know God, to do what he's asked you to do, to impact other people by being a witness, you're going to go in the rapture of the church. Hallelujah. And you will be spared the wrath of God. Satan needs permission to devour people. We just read that. We are the entity that must deny him that permission. It is within the realm of our authority to exercise that restraint. That's one of the ways we restrain him. We bind him. We rebuke him. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee. As long as the church is in the earth, 
Satan's on a leash. Let's call it that. Satan's on a leash as long as the church is in the earth because the Holy Spirit is preaching through the church. He is the voice of God, but he manifests in the church. The church is required to represent the kingdom of God. Therefore, we speak, thus saith the Lord. We call out sin. We rebuke sin. We show the love of God to the other people that don't have a relationship with him yet, and we invite them to know God. We invite them to be born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. He will no longer have a voice. The Holy Spirit will no longer have a voice once the church is removed from the earth. That's why it's so important that the church is speaking now. That's why Satan is trying to stop us. That's why Satan is trying to keep us from using our voice. That's why eventually the churches that aren't open, they think they're doing good by being online. I'm sorry. The devil is controlling the internet and anytime he's going to shut that down, then there'll be no more open churches. There'll be no more voice of the uh, gospel being preached on the internet and people will be lost. They'll be left without a voice. The Bible says they need to have a preacher to tell them the word of God. How can they hear except they be sent? It is so important the church goes back to doing their job. So I've talked about this, that we're supposed to be, what, not forsaking ourselves together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. We're supposed to be studying our Bibles. We're supposed to be resisting evil. We're supposed to be speaking the truth to those that don't hear it. We're supposed to be training up the righteous to be better saints. We're supposed to be praying without ceasing. I could have put this at the beginning. I could have put this in the middle. I could have put this anywhere. We need to be a praying church. You must understand that. If the church is not praying, then people aren't receiving what's going on in the kingdom of God in the earth. The church must be praying. It is the first step that we do in winning the lost. We intercede for them. And one of the prayers I was taught to pray as far as winning lost is the Bible says that Satan has blinded the minds of those that don't receive the truth. Well, what we need to do with our authority is we remove that blindness. We come out into the realm of the Spirit. We speak what's written. Father God, I pray for Tommy or Jimmy or Daryl or Catherine, whoever. I pray for them. I rebuke that spirit of blindness that is keeping them from receiving your truth, Father God. Lord, I apply the blood of Jesus over them. I wash them with the washing water of the word, Father God. I pray, Father God, for the removal of that blindness. I pray that you open their hearts, Father God. I pray that you send labors across their path, ministering the truth and love, that they would receive the love of the truth, Father. And that's why I say pray without ceasing. And Paul writes in Thessalonians 5.17, this should be the standard. It actually says pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means pray, and it means without ceasing. It means you never stop. Sure, like, what is tonight? Tonight is Thursday. We're actually going to have a prayer meeting at my house tonight. And we're going to go ahead. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for an hour. But that doesn't mean that's the only praying I'm doing during the week. I'm praying all day long. I took my dog to the park this morning. Me and Buddy, great dog. We walk at Bear Creek Park. And we pray. Well, I pray while he chases rabbits. But we have a great time there. But it's just my commitment. Lord, I'm going to pray 15 or 20 minutes this morning. I'm going to pray while I'm driving. That's what I love about the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of praying in tongues. I get to pray while I'm driving on my way over here. I'm going to leave here. I've got to go back to work. But I'm going to be praying. It's having an attitude of prayer. Smith Wigglesworth said, you know, I'm never out of the presence of God for more than 15 minutes at any time. And I think that's so important. Praying is just you communicating with God. Sometimes you're talking, sometimes you're listening. Acts 12, 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. I love the, the phrase, praying without ceasing. During times of crisis in the early church, prayer was made. Romans 1, 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, Paul writes, I make mention of you always in my prayer. In Paul's general service to God, 
prayer was made. So we see the prayer was made in the early church during times of crisis. Prayer was made for the saints in service to God. Second Timothy 1, 3, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have a remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. Prayer is made for the body of Christ, but it's unceasing prayer. We are always in an attitude of prayer. Unceasing prayer was a hallmark of the formation of the early church. We need now more than ever to pray without ceasing. You know, not everybody can do what others in the kingdom do. God didn't call me to go to Africa. He didn't call me to be an evangelist. He didn't call me to be an apostle. But he did call me to pray. All Christians can pray. I don't care if your tongue doesn't work. I don't care if your ears don't work. I don't care if you can't see. I don't care if you're wheelchair bound. I don't care if you're in a hospital, if you're in a nursing home. You can pray. You don't even have to open your mouth to pray. It is so important. We need to understand this. There can be no relenting in prayer for the rapture of the church as we begin to be moved from one realm to another. What I wrote this here. We know that literal hell on earth, the scenario that's ahead for those who remain after the rapture of the church It is so important that we pray without ceasing, that we ask God for them, that our hearts are bleeding in prayer for them. We know what's ahead. We have a responsibility to serve them, to call them home. And I don't ever want you to forsake that. I'm Ron Garia. We are End Time Insights. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.